this disappointment and this failure is not the end all be all of you. There's more to you. There's more that you will do. Don't let that be the end. Hi, I'm Danielle and welcome back to Making Space. Not just a podcast, but a place for honest, open conversations about where people have been and who they're becoming. So in today's episode, I'm tackling a topic everybody experiences, but nobody really likes talking about, disappointment. Although it can be easy to feel like you're the only one going through it, in reality, if you've lived long enough, you'll know that no one is a stranger to disappointment. For this conversation, I'm joined by my wonderful friend, Lois. We originally met during our freshman year of college in an acapella group, shout out to Voices of Africa, but we lost touch after I left the group. At the end of my senior year, while preparing for my move to Boston, I found out Lois was also moving here for medical school. Once I got here, we reconnected and picked up right where we left off as workout and brunch buddies. I've quickly learned how ambitious, driven, and hardworking Lois is. She's someone that has accomplished a lot but can still speak candidly about her failures, which I love. In our conversation, we highlight the experiences that probably won't be included in the highlight reel of our lives, but are still notable and relatable. I hope it meets you where you are. So what is something you have learned or that you're currently learning that you wish your younger self could have known? Hmm. I don't know, because I always feel like the things I learn are in due time, right? Mm -hmm. If I was like, oh, I wish I had understood like what failure felt like or what what it means to like have a plan and not go the way that you want it to go. I feel like even if that happened to me earlier, and I think it kind of did, there was a certain way that I like handled it that I definitely would handle it differently now because I'm older, but it's because of time. Like at least I feel like things happen in due time. So Hmm. I wouldn't tell my younger self anything different. Just like do the thing that you're doing because you're gonna get here in the way that you're supposed to get here Mm. Mm. no that's that's a good point so you feel like you you did experience it early on at least i don't know i remember your story about like the valedictorian i don't know if Mm -hmm. that's what you were referring to yeah yeah i feel like that's a pretty good example if you want to go into it yeah i mean there's some things i've grown I've grown to like understand now that like in hindsight, that story is like not as intense as I thought it was when I was going through it. And it also sort of shows what my values were at that time. But essentially, since I started high school, I had a very focused goal to graduate as the valedictorian. Mm -hmm. And for me, that wasn't like particularly hard because school was really easy and I was able to balance extracurriculars and I was able to do everything that I wanted to. I was from like a really tiny rural high school where you can do everything. And just the way that I was raised and where we came from, we had previously been in like Maryland has a really good school system. I had really good foundational core skills. So like school for me in Carrizo, where we were from, was really, really easy. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't going to be hard for me to become valedictorian. At least I didn't think so. And I worked all four years I genuinely enjoyed learning. I enjoyed competing. I enjoyed athletics. I enjoyed spending my time the way that I spent my time. 
But again, my entire goal was that I wanted to be valedictorian. My older brother was valedictorian and I really wanted to be valedictorian. And they did this thing where they've never done it since and had not done it before, where they called all of us, 114 students into the auditorium. They like called the top 10% of students to come to the stage and they started announcing who was third, second, and first. And oh. so this was like basically like in front of an entire audience of people. Like your classmates or? Yeah, my classmates, all of my classmates there and some teachers and everything. And the thing that I think was like just really guttural that was really severe for me was that those last few weeks before the announcement was made, before we were called into the auditorium, I was like chronically going to the counselor's office and asking, what are my stats? What's my numbers? And she was like, you're first, you're first, you're first, you're first. Mm. And even the day before this whole thing had happened, I'd gone there and I asked her, what is my number? Where am I? And she was like, you're first. So I came into the auditorium expecting that I'd be number one. Yeah. But in front of an audience, in front of a crowd of people, she called me as number two and everybody gasped. And even I was like shocked. And that wasn't just my first instance at disappointment. It was also my very first experience with public humiliation because that's what it felt like. Because mm. remind you that like we've never done that before and we also didn't do it after. We didn't do the thing where you call everybody into the room mm -hmm. and start announcing it like that. Usually people will like be told beforehand to get a letter or something, but they don't like announce it in an auditorium. So for me, that was like really deep and like painful. And I think the thing that I was angry about was that, so in Texas, we have like independent school districts. So each school district gets to decide, you know, what makes up a GPA, what makes up rankings. Mm -hmm. And I think they had changed it. Essentially, they changed it like the day before or something because the student that beat me, love him, had gotten a B and I'd never gotten a B. So I was like, like mathematically... Like, there's no way that you could be above me mm -hmm. if the math was mathing. But if we changed it somehow, then like some things are way more than others. It could be whatever. I see. Again, I was really young and it was my first interaction with not just disappointment, but public humiliation. Because everyone thought you were also going to be number one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's like a, it was assumed well, this is going to be valedictorian. And although it wasn't like, oh, we're happy for her, we just sort of like knew based off of the math and based off of the way that she like operates and does her stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think I also felt very powerless because I'm not someone who likes to like publicly do things unless I have a little bit more control and I can control when it's introduced into the world. But that was like, I felt really powerless and very like sad and disappointed and yeah humiliated yeah so that was my very first interaction with disappointment woo <laughs> and and i think i mean the point that you're making like public humiliation obviously it wasn't intentional like people were not going out there to humiliate you but that is how it felt and i think mm -hmm. that just makes it so much more difficult to get past knowing that you experienced this disappointment in front of everyone else and they yeah. all knew that you were shocked. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel like your relationship with disappointment has changed over time, like since then? I think since that instance, I've become, I mean, a little less so now, but I was very guarded with things that had to do with me and my work and my success. And one example I'll use is that like for a very long time when I was dating my partner, I didn't tell him my GPA, I didn't tell him my grades mm. because I felt like 
one, I realized the power that those numbers have over people's like interpretation of you, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I was called number two, I felt like from that day forward, I I either felt lesser than or I felt that other people perceived me as lesser than. Hmm. And so in college, when we were thinking about GPAs and like what your numbers are, I never told people those because I, I was like, I am more than this number. And clearly these types of numbers have a lot of power over how people perceive you or what they think about you. And I didn't want yeah. that to be the case. I still feel that way a lot, actually. And it was similar with like MCAT scores or GPAs and all that. Mm. One thing I'll do is when I talk to people, and I do a lot of admissions advising and counseling and whatever. I remind people that like these numbers are just like some small part of who you are. and They are not the end all be all of like what you do and who you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally feel that point about how it makes you more guarded over like the information that you share. I think it's kind of interesting looking back. I guess my big disappointment or like my big first disappointment was with like college admissions. So originally I had no idea where I wanted to go for college. And at my school, it was like a very competitive high school. And it seemed like a lot of people ended up at UT. And so I was like, I don't really want to. <laughs> you didn't want to go here. No shade, but <laughs> I don't want to end up where all these other people are going. So I really was not sure. But through like a long series of events, I don't know, something I was definitely praying about. And I started feeling like, do I want to go to Harvard? Obviously, that's so many people's dream school. And in my head, I was like, there's no way that that is going to work out for me. But it just became this faith thing. And I would slowly start sharing with people when people would ask, like, where are you applying? Where do you really want to go? X, Y, Z. I would slowly start sharing it. And like, some people would be really supportive. Some people would be like, <laughs> side eye. Anyways, so it was like this whole thing. And then like accumulating up until when I found out that I didn't get in. And I think I was really disappointed, not in the sense that, oh, I should have gotten in X, Y, Z, but just that I had so much faith and I thought that this is where God was leading me. And then it was like, actually, this is not it. And so I felt really disappointed. And it was like, I wish I didn't tell anyone because yeah. like now everyone knows or like a lot of people know where I wanted to go and they're going to ask me how it went and I have to tell them. It's reliving your disappointment over and over again yeah. every time you tell yeah. someone. So I feel like now applying to law school, people keep asking me like, what's your dream school? What's your dream school? And um, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> no, which is like partially a form of like self-preservation because it's like if you get your hopes up, that is an opportunity for you to be let down, for you to be disappointed. So maybe it's easier for me not to have a quote unquote dream school and just say, you know, wherever I end up going is my dream school because, I mean, that's just the way it was supposed to work out. But at the same time, in some sense, you have control over that because you're not applying everywhere possible. You're only applying to a certain number. Mm -hmm. And so whichever one you'll be happy with. But yeah. So just seeing how like my perspective has shifted since then and in some ways not saying that, you know, I'm jaded because I'm really happy that I went to UT and like I'm really happy with how my education turned out because of that. But yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. I feel like that similar sort of thing happened to me when I was trying to apply to business school because I thought I had this vision. I thought like God was really leading me in this particular direction. And I basically got the disappointing news twice because I was like, okay, no, this must be a mistake. Like God is still convicting me to do it again. Yeah. But I think 
I think something that I've also really learned is like in the process, even though I didn't end up like going to business school, I think in the process, I learned a lot about what I wanted to do and what I liked and what my like calling was. So even though I didn't, I'm, I'm not going to go through another like two years of schooling. Mm-hmm. I think I have a lot of the foundational pieces to still get my job done. So get the thing that I want done, done. So yeah, I think what I'm trying to say with that is that like with the process of disappointment, the reason I wouldn't tell my past self anything is because I think like the process of going through it and getting disappointed is still a lot of learning. So I can't like tell her something and give her advice and something that she hasn't gone through. Because it's the process of going through it that makes you wiser. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I feel like I've heard people say fail fast, which is to say you're going to experience failure. It's going to happen, but you want to do it quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Let it happen, um, get through it, and then know that you can move on and like try something new, even with like starting a business or whatever. That can take like a bunch of iterations, but you have to get that practice of failing at something. And even with the job searching, like just thinking about things that you can experience failure in in your 20s, I even remember my senior year, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Like, well, I knew generally like what field I wanted to work in. I knew I wanted to be in consulting. And so they all recruit like in September. So beginning of senior year, you have to get everything together. And there was really only one company that I was interested in because of a department that they had. So I was like, okay, I'm going to apply there and like hope for the best and like see how this goes. And because it was September, it's like, if it doesn't work out, I have a whole year to make a backup plan or whatever. And lo and behold, I applied. I didn't hear back. And obviously that was really disappointing because it was like, well, this was the one that I was hoping was going to work out and it didn't work out. So I guess I have to like go back to the drawing board and figure something else out. And It wasn't until like a few months later, I found out about the company that I ended up working for and seeing that they were like so much more in line with my interests. So many things about that company were a better fit for me. And I never would have found out about it, never would have been able to apply if the previous job that I applied Mm -hmm. for had actually worked out. I wouldn't have moved to Boston. Like none of that would have happened. It just reminds me of something my mom always says with how like every disappointment is a blessing in disguise because you don't know what that disappointment is affording you. Like you don't know what door that is opening up for you that you wouldn't have been able to walk through because exactly. you face that. Yeah, yeah. So another thing I feel like a lot of people struggle with in their 20s that, you know, I'm struggling with too is just the anxiety of the future. I feel like it's so easy to always be aware of how your present successes or failures are going to impact your future. I don't know. How do you navigate that? Because you want to make plans for the future, like you said, either going to business school or figuring out, you know, what you're going to do with the extra year that you have if you're not in business school. How do you navigate the present while also always being aware of how that could impact the future? Yeah, Um, I think something that's helped me is understanding that like, so there's a framework that we've been using for a long time, which has been like, you do really well in school you apply to stuff, you write good essays, and then you like put that in and then you hope for the best and you pray. And that still feels sort of nebulous and intangible and like sometimes it can work out, sometimes it doesn't work out, sometimes Mm -hmm. you like very clearly earned it and sometimes you're like, I don't know. I think something that I've been learning as I go through is that like a lot of the things 
that could make or break your future are very social. And I used to like not like socializing, but I'm like, it's actually a strong skill. And what I mean by that is that maybe you write an essay a certain way and somebody who's either gotten the scholarship before or the opportunity before or somebody who's on the board can talk to you and say, well, actually, I think it's better if you write it this way or, Mm -hmm. you know, connect with these people and talk to these people. And one of the reasons I actually chose medicine over law was I assumed that it was going to be more um, objective. Like it was just numbers, just grades. Mm -hmm. But I'm learning that that's not, that's in fact not the case, that there's a lot of like mentorship and advising and knowing a person and knowing people that can make this nebulous thing more of like a very concrete assurance. And so the reason I make Mm -hmm. this comment is because sometimes there isn't a way for you to socialize your way or talk your way or to find a connection to get you where you want to go. And in those cases, I think that I maintain a lot of flexibility. Like I know my overarching goal is this thing, but I'm very flexible about how I'm going to get there and how much time I'm going to get there. Because whenever I put down constraints, artificial constraints on like, Mm -hmm. it has to happen like this, I have to make this amount of money, then I am one, opening myself up for disappointment, but two, like closing down other options. Kind of as you said, right? Like when you decided that you were going to apply to that one program, if you had gotten in and just done that one program, you wouldn't have looked into any other options. Yeah, And it's not until like either God closes it down for you or that you just don't get it for whatever reason that then you're seeing other options. So similarly for me, when I'm thinking about what I want to do for my future, I have the plan or the idea. And usually it's like really generalized. And then I allow all possible opportunities to sort of like sit and exist. And what I mean by that is that like maybe I'm writing something one way and I might have four variations of how I write this thing for different applications. Or maybe I have one advisor who's advising me in one lens to reach my goal, but I have like three other advisors who have different expertise and different perspectives that can like help me in these other ways. And by doing that, I think I allow myself to gain all of these different opportunities and then pick one versus like you narrow it down and it picks you. And sometimes it may not pick you. Mm. And that's what I'm learning. Mm. That I rather just create an environment and invest in an environment where I can have multiple options and opportunities versus not. Which again is still hard to do because it's a lot of like socializing, a lot of networking, a lot of like researching and it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying the golden the golden word networking, which oh my gosh. I know. Hit <laughs> <Get> it girl. <laughs> Is it for me? No. But I turn on the switch and I do it when I have to do it and then I go back to my little hole. (laughs) But no, I think that's a good point. I mean, obviously not putting all your eggs in one basket is is always smart unless maybe you just are not interested in so maybe it's just one thing that you're interested in. But then you have to be ready for that one thing to not work out and be like, okay, well. Next. Yeah. Exactly. Then you have to be ready to fail fast. So that's a good point. And I do think Yeah, it's through like the relationships that you make with other people that you find out about things that maybe you never would have known about that actually could lead to something good for you. But I feel like also under this umbrella of like, you know, planning for the future, even though really it's hard to plan for things that are unknown. There's also some like unnecessary time pressure we can put on ourselves. 
And I'm still trying to understand where it comes from. I mean, you are now a wise woman, a quarter of a a century. century. Like, where does this time pressure come from? Why do we have these milestone ages where we decide like XYZ has to be done? But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And if I, if I put myself in those like lenses and those views, I don't think I'll be happy. That's what I've known. Cause some people are always saying, well, you need to have kids before 30. You need to have kids before 30. I'm 25, right? Girl, that's five years left. And I am not trying to have a little gremlin running around. No, 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 ma'am. And I feel like if I did, I would be unhappy. I wouldn't be able to love that child the way that I would want to love that child. Mm. And so similarly, people are like, you need to be married by this particular age. I'm blessed to have a partner. But again, I wouldn't want to rush it such that we are now like both unhappy Mm. in a way that we could still exist happily. And what I mean by that is like when I envision like what my marriage would be like, it would be we're both in the same place, same house, same like everything. And right now I'm in a long distance relationship. And so if I were to rush to get to that I may close again all the doors and opportunities that I have for myself to either like be a better doctor, learn more medicine, learn more science or help other communities. And so, yeah, I think taking your time, understanding that like you can't do everything all at once and these numerical arbitrary benchmarks. I mean, some of them have some weight to it, right? By like 30, 35 your eggs. I don't know what's <laughs> happening at that point, but you can freeze those babies. <laughs> <laughs> Freeze them babies and like move on, right? Like I think modern medicine and science has gone to a place where like you don't have to necessarily rush yourself in that way. Yeah, that's that's what I'll say about that. I similarly think that like these numbers that we put on ourselves are compared to other people. Again, yeah. and it's like yeah. the, you know, comparison is a thief of joy i want to do something younger than the other person who did it like maybe your brain is not fully developed yet (laughs) to be doing that thing (laughs) oh my god maybe you have more steps that you need to go through to do that thing and do it better the person who did the thing that you're doing did it in a different environment where maybe it was easier to have a startup or maybe it was easier to do x y and z and now it's a little bit more harder and it's more saturated Mm. so it's just things like that to like really appreciate the environment that you're in and to know that you decide what time you want to do stuff and you don't have to rush it in a way that would make you unhappy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was so good. Especially just you saying like, take your time. There's just something so countercultural about that. Even just saying it, like, I don't know what it is, but it's true. Like just looking around, seeing where other people are. It doesn't even have to be social media, like in person, you see where your friends are at, you see what they're doing, you look at yourself and you're like, so this would be a good time for me to do this. Or like, if they're already doing this, then maybe I need to plan for that. And so it's just like always thinking about the next and the next and the next and not really being present where we are and realizing that you have a long life. You have so much time. Obviously, no one wants to be... (laughs) 35 with a two-year-old. <laughs> no, that's young. Oh my gosh. No, no. No, but like maybe some people really, it's not their ideal life to go back to school at the age of 37, which, you know, makes sense. Maybe. But other people, maybe that is. Maybe they could, they that feel is. comfortable doing it at 40. So yeah, just knowing that everyone's path isn't the same either. And like, if something doesn't work out in the time that you wanted it to, it doesn't mean that it couldn't happen later on. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. 
But even going off of that, I don't know. I feel like sometimes, even if it's not a complete denial, it's not like a complete closed door, but like maybe a delay, that can also be really disappointing. As in like, it could still happen later, like I said, but it's happening later than I wanted it to slash than I planned for, keyword, than you planned, but really, Mm -hmm. you know. All of our plans. Just a joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, how do you deal with that? I think that is such a good question because when I didn't get into business school, a lot of my, like, mentors and advisors were saying that just because you didn't get it now doesn't mean you can't get it in, in the future. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I need the skills now. But I don't. <laughs> I don't necessarily. And I think there are two things that I love about myself not in like a conceited way but that i've grown to appreciate Mm -hmm. is one i have the memory of a goldfish one i cannot remember (laughs) names for the life of me (laughs) but two the pain and like Mm -hmm. sadness that i remember from like whatever disappointing event does not necessarily stop me from doing the same thing again and i'll use the business school examples one right like i definitely failed hard and fast during the first application and i just turned back around and i redid it that's something I appreciated myself because it's not going to change my goals. It doesn't change my passion. It doesn't change what I want to do. I think what it does is it makes me wiser and it makes me more prepared to sit down and reflect. And it makes me more willing to see the viewpoints of other people and to gather more mentors. And that's what happens each time mm. that I have something disappointing or a failure come to my doorstep. And the second thing I'll say The first one was memory of a goldfish. I think the second one is just the ability to rationalize something, which I think, I mean, some people can say that's kind of bad. But what I mean by that is that if I have a disappointment, like not getting into business school, the rational thought for me, as opposed to like, oh, the system is rigged or like someone just doing me dirty. I'll just say, well, I'm not, I'm not at the place where I can use these business school tools to reach my goals. Like maybe mm-hmm. I need two or three more years of learning medicine or more work on the ground, doing actual things mm-hmm. before the things I were to learn at business school could be really tangible and helpful. Mm-hmm. That's the way I rationalize it for myself. So I'm not disappointed or jaded or angry or whatever, but that like things come in due time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell myself a lot. And I think with those two things, I feel I genuinely or generally am a happy person as a consequence. Mm. I'm not comparing myself to other people. I'm not running a race that will wear me out. And it helps me appreciate and really value the things I'm currently doing, right? Because I'm learning the things I'm learning because I'm prepared and able to learn them and take them in. And I'm able to appreciate them and apply them and use them because this is the season that I can do that and I'm able to do that. So if I were to go to business school right now, there might be a possibility that I could not use the tools that I'm learning in that space because I'm not yet able to. And so if I tell myself that, it makes the disappointment of not getting into business school now a little bit less painful. That like, you know what? God's telling me I'm not prepared. I may not be prepared. Give myself some more time. It doesn't mean I can't achieve my goals. It doesn't mean I can't make the change that I want to do in Nigeria, right? I can still go there and do those things. It just means that I have to approach it through a different avenue. As long as I'm willing and able and open and excited and still joyful about the process, it makes all of the things I'm experiencing just less bitter. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. Like one, being flexible, right? Being open to your plans changing, being ready to pivot like when it happens. Mm -hmm. But then also that point about preparation and 
I feel like I've been trying to remind myself of that in this season too, like with my job search. Cause at first it was, it was a little bit easier when I had so many things to distract myself with, with like applying to school. That was like a huge distraction. And it was also like, I need this time that I have right now to Mm -hmm. prepare for this. And so now that that is more or less out of the way, my brain is kind of like, okay, well, why hasn't it happened yet? Where is the job? You know, like I need it now, but it's not coming now. And it can be really frustrating. But then I think I'm trying to remind myself to take a step back and be like, okay, if it were to come tomorrow, would you be ready? Or Mm -hmm. how can you be using this time that you have to best prepare yourself? Whatever that looks like. Maybe it's preparing yourself mentally, emotionally, getting other things in order that you need to get in order because you have the time and you don't want to look back and say that it was wasted. And I think it's really easy to do that if something that you want is being delayed and to just spend all of your time thinking about how you don't have that thing that you want. And there will always be something in any area of your life, whether that's professional or personal or whatever, there will always be something. But if we just spend our times mulling over that thing that we don't have, being upset or like having self-pity, I think it ends up being a huge waste when it didn't have to be a huge waste. It's really something I've been thinking about. It's like how to wait well, especially if you're not the most patient person, which I mean, I don't know who is patient. That's the real question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like the phrase how to wait well. I like it a lot. Yeah. Especially if you've grown up in this like really fast paced place. And what you value or what you get joy out of are deliverables or outcomes. Mm -hmm. It's just so difficult to sit in the waiting period and to really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And maybe, yeah, that's like a reflection of our society too, just being so used to busyness. Mm -hmm. And so what if your delay is happening just so you can rest? Like what if that's the whole point of the delay is for you to get a period of rest because mm-hmm. once that thing comes, you're not going to have the rest that you were able to have otherwise. But it can be so uncomfortable if you're not used to it yeah. and you're not used to sitting with your thoughts and like all the other things. So how do you feel like you find peace? You kind of started going into this already, but how do you feel like you can find peace after facing a disappointment? Yeah, I think sort of as I said before, the goldfish memory thing really helps. And sometimes I will say, especially if it's a really big disappointment, I definitely see myself wanting to put the blame on someone or wanting to rationalize it, like how this person did me dirty or how I was done dirty by the institution. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, one is if I can forget, not necessarily about the event or the failure, but about those like really negative emotions, it makes me more willing to dive back into it and do it all over again. Because I know I can, even if I get the same outcome. Because hmm. again, for me, the joy that I'm finding these days is like it's in the process of working to achieve those goals. Hmm. And as long as you're getting joy from the process and not the outcome, it's a little bit easier to just keep going and keep doing it again. And then the second thing, right, was rationalizing it and praying about it and trying to look for like where God is leading me and what he's trying to say in this thing. And if what he's saying is you weren't ready, but like, I love that you tried (laughs) or you're not ready, but like you've never done this type of thing before and now you have. And so you have that one thing under your belt. Yeah. Then those are the things again, that make me more willing and excited and able to try and try again. Yeah. 
yeah, that point about how it's not like nothing was gained. Like if anything, you gained the experience, yeah. which is still something. Um, okay, but what if you don't have the memory of a goldfish? How <laughs> you know, how do you how do you bring yourself to try again? Because it can be really discouraging and yeah. it can be kind of scary. Yeah, so I mean- put myself in another person's shoes oh gosh because i think i'm not that great in the memory department either (laughs) but i'm just trying to think like you know i think i'm also so there's two other ways i think you can sort of help yourself i think one of them if you're like a really rational thinker is to sort of put down the pros and cons of what happened and what you did and what was it that within your control that impacted the outcome and how can you change that or improve that? And if you don't know or you can't find the answer, you can go to an advisor or someone who's there to support you. Um, that's one way that I also do it too, is just like a really rational person. I just put these things on a piece of paper on a list and then I go to somebody that is my mentor or someone I look up to and mm-hmm. I feel safe with and I can sort of talk about these things. And some of it, it's not even like, oh, I have this GPA or, oh, I have this grade. Some of it's like, I feel like I am I am less capable than my counterparts. And they can talk you through that sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. what about that feeling? What about what you've done or not done makes you feel this way? And what can we do and how can we either leverage it or change it or improve it? So I really mm-hmm. like those types of discussions. They're very like strategic, personal discussions. Um, that's one way. And then the other way I think is that you just like go through the emotions, you go through the feeling, you go through the sense of disappointment Mm. and you give it time, Mm. right? Because with anything like time makes it a bit more distant, makes it more blurry, makes it less painful and you're more willing maybe in a year, in two years to try again. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And I I agree. Getting it out of your head by like talking through it with someone like – if it's a mentor, if it's an advisor, or even if it's just a friend, mm-hmm. so you can get all those irrational or like negative thoughts out and mm-hmm. someone else can like take them and help you make them more rational and being like, you know, you are not incapable. That's just not the truth. And just talking through it with someone, getting it out of your head and sharing it, which can be hard because, you know, it was a disappointment. Maybe you feel ashamed or, you know, feel insecure about it, but being able to share it with at least one person, I think is a great a great thing. Yeah. And then taking time. I totally agree because time does heal some some wounds. Some wounds. Um, <laughs> but earlier you mentioned like finding joy in the process and I'm interested to know how how you do that. How I do it. One of the things I've actually talked to my roommate about this is I do not choose to do things that I do not find joy in. Mm. And so – Even the act of applying to something can be really stressful for a lot of people. I enjoy writing essays. I enjoy reflecting on things. I enjoy like making a list of goals. I enjoy talking to advisors and people about my plans and my goals, getting their feedback, then them writing me recommendation letters. I actually enjoy that process. So when I have to do that to reach another goal, it's not a big deal for me. Because the act of reflecting for me feels cathartic and it helps me sort of solidify this really hazy and nebulous vision that I have for myself Mm. and my future. And the cool thing about it is that in the process of writing one essay or applying to one thing, I might have this really strong and fully formed goal 
And then I don't get that thing or I'm applying for something completely different. And that goal or vision shifts a little bit. It's kind of like clay and it's being remolded. Yeah. But all those different variations of it can exist at the same time. And I can still find one way to do what I want to do. So I think that's one of the things that really helps enjoying the process is that like you actually genuinely like what you are doing and not just the goal, not just the outcome. Which is hard to do, right? Because not everybody likes writing essays. Not yeah. everybody likes applying to things. Not everybody likes asking for rec letters. But if you can find a way to enjoy it or talk to yourself and tell yourself, like, I'm reflecting and this is a powerful thing that I'm doing. I'm putting onto paper visions of what I have or I'm struggling to answer these really interesting, intricate questions. But when I answer them, I feel better. I feel like I'm able to really articulate and conceptualize the mark I want to make onto the world. Even if it's this like big, big grandiose idea, I feel great that I was able to say say that and write that down and that someone is going to find it valuable enough to read it. Yeah. 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 Because even if you don't get it, someone read it. Someone read and it. And you can use it for something else. <laughs> yes. But, but then you also wrote it. You also articulated. You also put yeah. it into the world and that's something powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And if all of those things, all these, you know, very rational tips that Lois has doesn't help you, I will give you some irrational <laughs> ones because I, mean, I think I'm more irrational than you. But sometimes it just helps to like tell yourself, you know, that everything has happened as it should. Like mm. – that where you are right now is like exactly where you're supposed to be. And sometimes it does sound like fluff. I like to back it up with some scripture, right? Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for the good of those who love God. And so just trusting that, you know, this disappointment can still work together to get you where you're supposed to be. Maybe it's where you thought you'd be. Maybe it's somewhere completely different. But if it's where you're supposed to be, it will still be really good. And like even something as simple as I feel like you've said this, like you'll be all right, you know, yeah. it's going to be hard. And like you can feel sad, you can feel down, you can, you know, share that with other people, give yourself time to get through that disappointment. But it's not the end of the world. You can still get up again, try again, try something different. There's still a lot out there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else on this topic that you wanted to touch on that we didn't yet? I will say, just thinking back to like my younger self, I actually did find or think about something I would tell her. Mm. And just to tell everybody else who's listening to that the disappointment in that moment, no matter how like visceral and hot and painful it could feel is not the end all be all of you and your life and your existence and what you can bring into the world and I say that Mm. because I remember like little Lois whose entire world was becoming the valedictorian and having these perfect grades and saying she sacrificed all these things and when she didn't get that I remember her feeling very 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 hurt Like in a way that I don't think I've ever felt before and have Mm. not felt since. And I think within that feeling, if I let myself sit in that feeling, if I didn't have my parents who like rushed from work to come and sit with me and hold my hand and like hold me while I cried, I think that a lot of not great things could have happened. I think Mm. if I didn't have a church home and a church family to drive to like straight after school, that's where I went. If I didn't have those, a lot of like not great things could have happened. So I think that like, 
in this pursuit of your own mission and your own dreams and your own goal, it's really important, one, to pursue and cultivate these like really meaningful relationships because they can help ground you and they can be safe Mm -hmm. places for you to stay in and sit in and feel protected and feel vulnerable and be able to cry and pray and talk to God and get your parents' advice. But it's also, these are also people that will remind you that this disappointment and this failure is not the end all be all of you. There's Mm. more to you. There's more that you will do or think about or write about or say. So don't let it, don't let that be the end. That's what I want to share. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. And even just like what you were saying about having a support system, having other people around you, it just made me think, you know, when we have these successes, which, you know, everyone does have at some point in their life, they have like huge successes, things they want to celebrate. The best part about that is being able to celebrate with other people, being able to tell other people, seeing their reactions, seeing the joy that they have for you. And mm-hmm. so in the same way that we like to have people around us when we're celebrating, it's also so important to have people around us when we're really disappointed and we're really discouraged to still speak life into us. And just to know that you don't have to go through it alone. Like no one is an island. I don't think anyone can get through this life on their own anyways. So that is such a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have things changed for you now that you have gone through these experiences, you've learned what you just shared, like it's not the end. Like how have things changed for you now as you continue to go through life and face the ups and downs? Yeah. I think one of the things I've learned this year, I used to jokingly call this my year of L's. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I basically I had like put my name out for so many things at the end of 2022. And basically January, February, March, I was getting a lot of rejections. And I was like, wow, this is a season of L's. But again, with the whole having people around me, I've learned that it's not just L's. I've had a lot of great things happen too. And I just sort of like Mm. never remember to appreciate them because Mm -hmm. I'm just so like the disappointments shine brighter to me for some reason. I think I'm appreciating the now more than I did in the past. Like Texas does not move as fast as Boston does. I think Mm -hmm. even while I was in Texas in high school, I was moving so fast. Uh, Even college, I was moving so fast. And I Mm. felt like everybody was moving slow. And I was like, I'm going to leave all these people behind. (laughs) I was going left and right, doing things, making things, building things, applying things. Like I was moving fast. And I think since I've gotten here, I am learning to cultivate the slow. And that's how things have changed. I think I'm learning Mm. to really appreciate my familial relationships Mm-hmm. and cultivate those I've learned to really appreciate and cultivate friendships which mm-hmm. has been something like new and different for me my romantic relationship is something that I've invested a lot of time in and been mm-hmm. cultivating a lot and I just I'm just learning to really appreciate the people around me and the places that I'm in and sitting in and have the privilege to be in because not everyone can be where I am and not everyone can be sitting in the seats or the chairs that I'm sitting in and, and just by being in those places it's just like a really cool and wonderful experience and so I'm learning to just really appreciate that. Yeah. So appreciate the slow. Yeah. I love that. And I think what you said about, you know, it's so easy for us to dwell on the bad things and like miss all the good things because there are still good things going on. But maybe it's when you slow down, like you're saying, that it's easier to notice those. Yeah. Something I'm taking away from our conversation is that there's purpose in disappointment, even though it sucks and probably doesn't feel like it. 
I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode and your best advice on overcoming failure and disappointment. If you're listening on Spotify, you can comment in the Q&A box. You can also reach me via Instagram at the Making Space Podcast, where you can follow for more content. Special announcement that my next episode will be the season one finale of the podcast, which is insane to say, but I will be back next year. So please follow the podcast wherever you listen so you're notified when new episodes are released. Rate the podcast five stars and share this episode with someone who would benefit from hearing our conversation. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you on the next episode of Making Space. Bye!